Okay. <clears throat> Let's get into this. Let's get into it. It's a new thing every week with you. Just a new opening. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello. Hi. I'm going to do a few, and then I can choose the one I like the best. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is the Pilgrims Digress. <laughs> we are the Pilgrims Digressing. I'm Zach. This is Mr. Sagacity. Joey Sags for short. Uh, we are looking oh. at chapter 10 of the Pilgrim's Progress, and it's a, it's a bloodbath. It's a doozy. <laughs> I want to say, first of all, we're coming to you this week in stereo, which would have been a normal thing for most of this podcast until I realized this is... I want to just bare my soul for a minute. Do it. Share some of my discontent, if you will. Yeah, I will. I realized that the last three episodes, even though I had spent much time putting stereo effects in place and, and making everything just how I wanted it, it sounded good to me on my, my, my earphones, then uh, somehow I had checked a box in my software when I rendered the mm. file that said, Force to Mono. Yeah. So if if you want to do me a big favor, go back and listen to the last three episodes now that I've re-uploaded them in stereo. All that work. All that work. All that work. But, you know, when it inevitably blows up and tens of thousands of people are listening to it, it'll it'll be in the it'll be in stereo then. <laughs> so um anyway, this week you can hear uh I guess uh me in your left shoulder and sagacity in your right, like uh it should be. Like yeah. And uh, we will be talking about the battle with Apollyon and Faithful's lesser battles. Or are they lesser battles? Even though they're not head-on attacks, they are sneaky asides with discontent and shame. First off, what do you think, what are your thoughts on when any type of media, uh, storytelling media, whether it's a book or a movie or what, does this, where you pop back and forth between something super high stakes and exciting and something that's a lot less, you know, more just like a conversation, even though there may be high stakes there as well. Do you feel like that generally works or is it too jarring throwing you in and out of battle? I find I often forget that the crazy thing is happening hmm. during the other thing and then it's kind of exciting and fun to go back into the other. I feel like if it's done right, maybe if the conversation also bears a lot of weight to it, you're keeping the same tense theme going. So you're saying I should have right. done it right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like if it's you're just switching to people having coffee. Hey, you know, there were, that was then, the very beginning. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of coffee these days. A in lot the of coffee Progress. these days. Pilgrim's Progress has gotten more coffee-ish. Have you noticed? More more coffee-ish. We introduced a pipe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you, you got it. You got it. watchful. Here's the thing. I wanted to get the kind of church warden vibe out of watchful yeah. mm -hmm. because if the palace beautiful is the we talked last week about how a, a porter's whole job is to move baggage in yeah. and how in this world you're not really allowed in if you've got baggage, baggage. so yeah. it's a really sweet gig for him he's got to have something to do he, his name's yeah. watchful yeah so it makes sense that he'd be kind of the church warden church you know watchman. a lot about pipes you're a pipe connoisseur yeah, yeah. um w w what is a church warden pipe like it's a it's a long stem normally about 11 to 12 inches and it was meant to stick out of windows so that you could smoke inside of churches. But you're really smoking outside. You're really smoking outside. Do you have coffee? Speaking of coffee, or is, is that I just do a have coffee? Oh, it, what did I'm you clinking. make it? You're clinking. Everyone knows by now. We haven't addressed it, but that yeah. Alex wears I don't know nine rings at a time. Well, and nervously clinks them together. It's a thing. It's a it's, yeah. it's a thing people love about you. Is it? Well, your wife maybe not. I doesn't. can't say I that. love it about you. Yeah. <laughs> One of the first times I ever met you, you told me mm -hmm. a story about how you had dropped your wedding ring because you were yeah. fiddling with it during a church service, and mm -hmm. it went right down a grate. Right down a grate. Had to, <laughs> had to pull up a pew. Of course, that had to be... And, and you never went back to the church again. You were humiliated. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Is there anything that uh, I've changed that we need to address, put cards on the table? We've been trying to do that. I've um, maybe been lax on that the last few uh, digressions. I don't think that there's any super major changes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I think I, I I thought that I was switching the order of discontent and shame, and then when you and I were just looking at these proof texts, I hadn't. Yeah, uh, discontent comes and then shame. I think maybe the one thing is, it's uh, a little bit unclear in Bunyan's work whether shame and discontent, especially discontent, are agents of Beelzebub, supernatural beings sent to trip him up, or whether they're just sort of like formalist and hypocrisy, or mm. or timorous, uh, you know, uh, guys who 
are on the wrong path or on the right path for the wrong reason with the wrong heart. But the fact that Faithful threatens to kill one of them, mm. clearly we yeah. have them being yeah. the spiritual concept that they represent. Yeah. For the record, if you come across someone who uh, who starts introducing shame, don't threaten to kill them mm. and don't squeeze them by the throat yeah. unless they're a demon. I mean, That's it. those are words I live by. So. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about uh, this initial meeting that we've already talked a little bit about it because we began the whole podcast with kind of a flash forward, which is kind of a, a hack move, I admit. And when I see it more and more and more, I think to myself, this is losing its you know, impact. Its effect. Where you're like, big exciting thing. Okay, three days earlier. Okay, But it's it's a hack move if you're choosing that, that you can start your story in a less engaging way by cheating it. But if the story already starts in a less engaging way, yeah. I think it's a, a legitimate move. Yeah. And I want your approval. <laughs> you have it. Okay. <laughs> in all things, Zach. All right. So even though we did uh, talk a little bit about Apollyon, we haven't looked at these texts yet. So let's let's get into it here with... Uh, I think we should probably start with his name and where it comes from. Yeah, Apollyon. Uh, I had a cousin named Apollyon. <laughs> No, I didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> no one did. Um, actually, that would be a fun spinoff. Uh, Apollyon's cousin. He's like an. He's like always trying to climb the ladder. He's but kind he's of a like, loser. Yeah. He's, yeah. He just. He's like the norm in like a bar in hell, like a, and he just sits around and kind he, of a burnout. He's always yeah. trying to to really get the unction to get up there and really do some high level demon stuff. But. Hangs out with screw tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if Revelation 9-11, we read about, this is in the midst of angels blowing the seven trumpets, and there are trumpet judgments that come upon the earth. And when the fifth angel blows his trumpet, the bottomless pit is opened up. I referenced this a little bit at the very beginning in kind of the cold open of the, the episode with these locusts coming up out of the abyss. And he describes them with the appearance of like horses prepared for battle on their heads were... Uh, what look like crowns of gold, their faces like human faces, and if you draw this, it looks exactly like a particular kind of 1980s attack helicopter, apparently. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like you know, in that their hair was like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a Huey. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and the power to hurt people for five months in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, he is called Apollyon, and that means destroyer. So this is certainly not the devil himself, mm. but rather a high-level agent of, yeah, the the, uh, the devil. Somebody worth sending to take down a pilgrim who's about to enter into kind of the, the main stretch. Why do you think he chose this name? Do you think it, it related to this eschatological picture of the, the locusts coming up and, and the demon king of the locusts? Or do you think it, it just meaning destroyer and sounding I think, cool? I think it being destroyer, yeah. you know, was probably more likely. This being coming here to destroy Christian, to wipe him off the face of the earth, to, you know, squash this faith before I had any chance to grow, any chance to really mature. That's what I'd think. I, I, he hasn't led anyone to faith. He hasn't, he hasn't really accomplished much for the kingdom at this point. It's been a lot of his own growth. Mm. So if it can be stopped now, this progress down the road and, and arrested and shunted off to the side, or better yet, just destroyed in a very literal way, yeah. that's a big get for the kingdom of hell. It's interesting that uh, he's had a number of the kind of serpent strategy of Satan attacks come his way, even as Faithful's going to have during this chapter. But he's fairly easily skirted all of them, with the exception of worldly wise men, sending him off on the wrong direction toward the hill of legality. He's, he's been pretty quick to, to call people on their stuff, and maybe that's why it's Christian that Apollyon goes for. Even though Faithful's got to be near him on the Pilgrim Road when you read this text, he never says, oh yeah, I fought that guy too. Well, it, yeah, and it's the cunning plan of the enemy, I think, to attack you where you're weakest. And I feel like, I feel like not fighting the manly man head mm-hmm. on yeah. with weapons of war, but sending shame his way and saying that this will, this will be most effective for this particular man. And then Christian over here, who I'm viewing as this, you know, m- more emotional kind of guy. This guy isn't a warrior. Maybe he's a bookkeeper or something. We're not sure what he does. Yeah. The thing is, though, Faithful, how would he have even fought Apollyon? He has no armor. 
He has no sword. Yeah, he has no sword. He was going to fight him with a rock in our yeah. rendering of the story here. So, like, maybe he, Apollyon sees that as beneath him. Send mm-hmm. a, a lesser manner of Imper Demon to go uh, deal too. with him. And I'm going to fight this guy, the, the real guy who has the potential to be the champion. But ultimately, we're all always dealing with both of these. And I think what's interesting about... Uh, the way that Bunyan writes, and I tried to kind of highlight this more the way I broke up the fight, this interaction is it's a, a twisting together of the lion strategy of just meet you and tell you I'm going to destroy you, you have no hope, I, I am more than enough to stop you, and the serpent strategy that came from the beginning, which is, why don't you just come with me? I'll give you whatever I can afford to pay you, I'll make yeah. it right, I'll forgive what you've done, just come on back home. Isn't that the most comfortable place? Simultaneously, almost. I'm killing you, but I'm actually the only one who cares about you. <laughs> so and, and abusive. He's, if, he's... if you ever have a real relationship in your life like that with a human, get out of it. And if you ever feel that relationship, you know, in, in a spiritual setting, definitely disengage. He's playing God in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I have the power to forgive you or I have the power to judge you and destroy yeah. you. And, you know, you know uh, uh, I'm the one who came after you to come get right. you in the foreign land. And your king never did that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The most yeah. satanic uh, meet you. Yeah. This is like when Richard Gere went into the, like, I don't remember what movie, Officer and a Gentleman. Went into, like, the, the sweatshop or whatever and picked the lady up and carried oh, her out as his, his navy dress whites. Like, this this is what he's picturing himself as, hmm. even though, like, a minute ago, his stinking sulfur breath was on his face and he was trying to crush him to death. Yeah. That's the enemy. Yeah. And yet, so often, we try to say, you know, I don't want to be full on in on his team, but... I'll dabble. Mm. You know, we don't recognize the danger of the dabbling. Mm. And especially with all the false promises being made. You know, I mean, you, you see this inside of the temptation of Jesus. You know, I mean, I mean, obviously coming right from the mouth of Satan, not a lesser demon of any kind, but kind of the same promises. Just hold your horses, stop, and just listen to me. And I'll give you things that you could never even dream of. That he's saying to the creator of the yeah, world. You, yeah. You, you thought this whole thing into existence, yeah. but I can, yeah, I can and really blow your mind. You're holding it together. <laughs> right. It was yes. created for you, you know. Um, it would, the whole thing, myself included, would yeah. simply cease to exist if you stopped sustaining it. But yeah, that that is a, a stupid lie, but it's not any stupider than the ones he brings to us, really. I mean, mm-hmm. the very idea that I'm going to bring you fulfillment you know, it's a bigger version of Adam the first lie, yeah. which is come with me and there will be niceties and dainties and, and uh, a lot of satisfaction when well, really I'm going to sell you as a slave. Well, where did Adam learn it? Right. You know? yeah. I mean, he learned it from his father, you know. His Jesus. father? You mean God? You mean, you mean it says in Luke chapter three, his father is, no, I know what you're saying. Jesus, yeah. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you're like your father, the devil. Mm-hmm. At the fall, essentially, it is as if all of mankind says... We don't like you as our dad. Mm. We want this other dad. And and so from that moment on, the spirit of adoption becomes the solution to mm. uh, our, our fallenness. Which is why then, of course, he's called the ruler of this world. Mm. And it's the claim he makes. You know, I'm the, the lord and king of your native land. Christian doesn't argue with him. And say, mm. no, 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 no. That's the, the, the lord of this. No, he's, yeah, the scriptures yeah. again and again yeah, call and him again. the god of this world. Yep. John 12, 31. Uh, what happened in your Bible? Man, did you sell it? Oh, there it is. Yeah. No one would buy this. I would. I would buy that. You would. If you were destitute, I'd buy it, and then I would give it back to you as a gift. Wow. What a friend I have in Zach. John twelve thirty one. Okay, here we go. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast down? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Hmm. Uh, and then in the on the next page there, Luke fourteen. 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So, yeah, the idea that the world has one God and the church has another, uh, ultimately, our God will take over (laughs) once again the earth, uh, destroy it, create a new earth, and uh, heaven and earth will have the same uh, ruler, but in this moment, we're in this in between, and, and I think it's interesting that he says the the you know tying to his own crucifixion, the God of this world is is being cast down. This reminds us of uh, Revelation twelve, 
and Jesus talking about uh, Satan falling like lightning. Mm. And depending on your eschatology, you and I are of the same mind here. Uh, we would say that Satan is even now cast down, which is why he's on the earth trying to attack, stalking about, trying to shame people, trying to drag their faith down into hell because yeah. he no longer has a place in the courtroom of God yeah. accusing. That position's been eliminated. Mm. And uh, the line item was reallocated to now a mediator, which is Christ <laughs> himself standing between us and yeah, God, yeah. making peace. Right, uh, which right. No is longer a, an accuser, but a mediator. Such yeah. a better deal, yeah. if you can get it. What about that 2 Corinthians 4.4? 4? In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Mm. So the, the God of this world can blind the minds of... And it's, it's a fascinating thing, because... The chaining of Satan in Revelation uh, is so that he cannot deceive the nations. Right. He can't. He can't hold the Gentiles at large, the nations, the majority of the world back from receiving, embracing the gospel and being saved. Hmm. But he can blind minds. He can right. change our perception. Yeah. Uh, and of course, here we've we've now gone from talking about Apollyon, who is this. Uh, uh, lower status demon in the story to talking about Satan as the ruler of the world. But, you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't you expect a uh, mm. hellish creature to exaggerate his position? Mm. Uh, you know, he's he's part of the organization, so I'll call myself the... Or maybe just the city of destruction, the idea that Bunyan had was, is under his uh, purview and the city of fair speech under somebody else's. Uh, and, and, of course, Beelzebub, then, is the top-ranking demonic power in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. So moving on from his name to his appearance, there are a ton of texts given here. Job 41, 15 to 17, Daniel 7, 5, 1 Peter 5, 8, which is the roaring lion, uh, Revelation 9, 17, 12, 3 to 17, and 13, 2. All of these, if you put them together, you get little pieces of the appearance of this, this creature, Apollyon. His dragon's wings, his lion's mouth, the, the feet like a bear, etc., it's all very scary, and it all has some meaning. I don't think it's worth us reading it all to you. If you are interested yeah. in that, have a, have a look through those texts. Uh, the idea that he's all the scariest stuff hmm. kind of rings through yeah. as the gist of it. Like, he's he's an incredibly imposing creature, and, you know, even a, a dragon is, is kind of a combination of different things in a yeah. lot of cultures. Um, a... The horse's head, the mm. snake's body, the chicken's feet, or whatever in the Chinese culture. Uh, to me, the the dragon seems like a serpent and a lion kind of combined, yeah. which is perfect for what we're seeing him do. Uh, at any rate, he's not anybody that you would look at and say, I got this. Right? Mm. You, you, yeah. He sees him. He wants to run. He has no armor for his back. No armor for his back. Which means that, I mean, whenever I read that, I think, this person has never seen what a breastplate <laughs> looks like. But... Uh, it's a great image. Like, mm. there's no option to turn and run. Well, there is no turning back. The hands to the plow. You know, yeah, you know, right, there's, yeah. no, there's no turning the ones back. What we do then with uh, flee from right. youthful yeah. lusts and the love of money, all these things. I think these things go hand in hand, right? You you fight, you fight, face the temptation, you pray for help in the temptation, and you don't prolong it. You try to put it behind you, and when you flee, you're not fleeing from the enemy. You're fleeing to the cross. Yeah. And and that's the way to do it. And and I think also maybe the fleeing from temptation has to do with, you know, we were just discussing in our, our catechism class on Sunday morning, the lead me not into temptation. You know, if, if you can avoid where Apollyon is, or you can avoid where discontent and shame are, all the better. You know, but once you find yourself engaging with them, you stand firm, mm. you, you've got the armor, and you have to deal with the flaming arrows and all this stuff. And that's yeah. the first thing that comes. After they're done talking, yeah. uh, he comes at him with flaming darts, fiery darts, which in Ephesians 6, 16, you know, we're, we're given the shield of faith, which will extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. There's a fairly common sort of Bible urban legend that they would soak the leather-covered shields in mm. water so that when uh, fiery arrows would hit them, they would extinguish that's not true. Uh, uh -huh. the, yeah. That would be insanely heavy. You would yeah. not be able to lug that around fire with it. What they'd do is they would uh, rub them with oil, and that would extinguish it. And I, mm. I actually, when I was preaching through this recently, I texted my buddy, I'm going to drop a name here, Cliff Graham, author of New York Times bestselling novels about Bible epics and stuff. Uh, and he, I said, how is it that rubbing this, these things with oil wouldn't make them just burst into flames? Mm. And he was like, no, no, this isn't like olive oil or lamp oil or something. This is animal guts. Mm. 
and it does extinguish uh, fire. So a flaming arrow comes in, you hold up this shield, and it goes out. It protects you um, from these wiles of the devil. And so what, what does this look like? In my mind, a time is weird in the Pilgrim's Progress anyway, because a whole lifetime's journey right. takes like two weeks or something. But if it is even just a literal half a day that he is having this confrontation with the enemy, are those first few fiery darts like entire like 20 minute, you know, like what are these wiles? What could this be? This is a whole day full of almost falling, full of spiritually being wounded and barely standing, but not giving up, mm-hmm. being steadfast, immovable. Yeah. And the shield of faith is what protects him from being killed by these. And he gets hit by one. Mm-hmm. Bunyan says he gets hit in the foot. Yeah. And of course that makes walking along the road all the harder. <laughs> You've got mm-hmm. a wound in your foot. He pulls it out, keeps on fighting. As they fight, there are interludes where, where it stops for a moment. I always find that in a, a film mm-hmm. to be refreshing. Like, like, because they would. If mm. you're fighting, you're not going to... Even in, in professional bouts with people who are in ridiculous shape, they stop in between yeah. rounds and rest. You, you would have to stop and rest. And there's an opportunity then for Apollyon to come in with the... Well, the relentless assault of his serpentine speech, his honeyed word and, you know, his, his, uh, his silver tongue relentlessly work down your guard, not only physically... Through, you know, I mean, and, and you can point to scriptures where physical elements are used throughout the scriptures to wear down the saints, but also, now coming from a different direction, just emotionally, mm-hmm. wear you down, tear you down, and say that, well, where's your God? You're out here fighting me, and I'm winning. Um, you haven't hurt me yet, and it's just you. It's just you out here in the smoke. You should have stayed up in your church. It's that weaponizing of pace. So, you know, go back to the boxing analogy you just said, the weaponizing of pace. The fact that if you just keep pouring on damage, it's unattainable. Your body isn't designed to continually take hits. And and that's something I think the enemy is really, really good at, is, you know, pouring on stuff just into your life. Mm-hmm. Sickness and sadness and trying to cloak you away from your Bible reading so that you don't know how to accurately deal with it. You know, yeah. you know drop your sword. Here, I'm going to shake your faith. Uh, I'm going to rub in that I've taken a friend from you or something like that and, and you and know, And then when you're your weakest, him. here comes an old temptation yep. that you thought you'd overcome. It's just that continue, continuing pace again and again and again and again. So you, finding moments of interlude, I think, in our lives where we can completely refocus on God, completely refocus on our source of sustenance and continued grace is really important. Is it even wrong for a Christian to have taken part in these conversations? When he had know. these moments of a breather, yeah. should he have... Instead, prayed for more strength. I, I think that you said that he he realizes what Apollyon's doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He Which Bunyan did say, but I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, like at the, at, the, at the very end, oh, I see what you're doing. Even the moments where I think that we're resting, we're not resting. There's still more attack you're coming. Still, and maybe you're still more effective attack coming. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. Because, I mean, he's proving himself to be at least at least semi-competent fighting him off. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he's using his shield appropriately, you know, he's keeping that lion at bay a bit, but not really girding himself up against the more emotional side of the attack. Which we've compared faithful to Peter before, but this is kind of the Peter mm-hmm. thing, right? Like, right. give me the sword, I'll fight the, the lion, no problem. Yeah. Give me the words that are designed to take my spiritual legs out from under me, mm. and I, you know... The servant girl asking, aren't you one of his disciples, takes me out of the equation mm. and, and she, she, like, dogpiles me with shame and I yeah. run away crying. But, like, I think it's interesting when uh, he will agree with him on certain things and he knows how to keep the conversation going. Mm. When Christian tries to shut him down with, you know, you're, you're nothing compared to my Lord. He created the universe. You haven't done anything that even is in the ballpark of that. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Your, your God has done some great things, and he's holy, which is why yeah. if you get to where he is and he thinks about all of this stuff you've done, he'll destroy you. Yeah. Let's go through all the stuff you've done. And he well, starts walking him through all of his mistakes. He's an old pro. You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. Know, he, he's he, an old pro. He's an old pro. He has this down. Countless, countless people led astray, right? He's probably got categories. You, you know, like he looks at Christian and goes, "This, oh, this is a uh, 106.B9, you know, mm-hmm. a scenario. I mean, it, really, really I mean, the, the number of people that he's dealt with and the weaknesses he's been able to pinpoint 
Well, we referenced it a bit, but uh, Lewis's screw tape letters are a really good example, I think, of like the breaking down of Christianity between two demons. And this is the way to most effectively handle the English clergyman in mm-hmm. this particular area at this particular time. This yeah. is how you lead him astray. Um, it's I'm always sure something mundane, but mundane, it works. Yeah, yeah it w- works. I'm glad you wrote it this way, and I'm glad Bunyan wrote it this way, because it, it doesn't underplay or, or undermine, rather, the guile of the enemy, the really crafty part of the mind that you know knows us, yeah. knows our temptations, and knows our failings, and, and knows God, too, and knows how great of a chasm there is between us, and knows how to just apply pressure in those right places to keep that chasm in our view. You know, yeah. keep us away from that bridge, keep us away from that mediator and say that, well, there's irreconcilable differences here that you cannot be forgiven of. Um, yeah. I think we both know the secret stuff that no one else knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That also comes into play with shame later on. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's when you think of a creature that's a dragon bear, lion, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, fish god with wings. scales, with, you know, yeah. it, it wouldn't seem like he'd be cunning and smart Mm. but he is yeah and that christian recognizes early on he hits him with stuff like god's might yeah well that's gonna work against you god's holiness that's definitely gonna work against you Mm. but what he finally breaks him with is listen i don't i'm a i'm a pilgrim i don't need to seek after glory now all i have Mm. to do is wait a little while when he comes with all the holy angels and us with him rides down on you and destroys you. And yeah. that's the moment at which it, the rage just breaks forth. Uh, you know, I'm an enemy of this prince and prepare to die for I will mm. spill your soul. So much great dialogue that Bunyan has written in here. That moment of reminding him, and it reminds me of the corniest old bumper sticker that you'd buy at like the Zondervan stores or Lifeway or whatever in the 80s. Yeah. When the devil reminds you of your past... Remind him of his future. Wow. And that is trite, but it's true. Yeah. Because, and and Bunyan was hitting on that truth here. Like, all you had had to do is, yeah, but you're going to be destroyed. We both know what your fate is. Mm -hmm. We both know I'm going to be on the right side of that. Yeah. And once he plays that card, there's no more conversation anymore. Mm. And I think that's a fascinating dynamic in their their interaction, their back and forth. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, uh, we read, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So there's a coming reckoning. And earlier Christian talks about how he has these golden moments. And, and right. you know, what, what are the things that prompt these? And, and the one that seems to be the most effective is mm. I think about the end of the road. Hmm. And then when he reminds Apollyon about the end of the road, yeah, that's also effective. Like mm. focusing on the triumph. You know, we, we, there, are, there are times, as we mentioned last week, there are times to think about the suffering of Christ. And there are times to think about the triumph of, of Christ. Both are central to the Christian life. And both are a, a great uh, resource in, in spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. But Apollyon's willing to bring up Christ on the cross. Yeah, well, look how weak. Look, yeah. at, how, look at how dead, you know. Uh, uh, it, it, isn't that silly for you to follow a dead man? That's why I think that no matter the, like, the particulars of your eschatology, the victorious Christ needs to be something that's really firmly established right, inside yeah. of your theology. No matter how you get there throughout the text, him on a throne eventually... Satan cast down as a footstool and, and us there rejoicing and worshiping him needs to be that thing at the end all of the time. Needs to be the thing in focus, too. And not, so, not some side thing where yes. we focus on, you know, the New York Times international yeah. section or whatever. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That has to be. And when we say eschatology, that's just the study of end times. It's the, the, the locus of theology concerned with the, the end times. And there's a lot of different views and different things. But, yeah, like you say... It, we can all agree, all Orthodox mm-hmm. Christians of whatever stripe, that in the, in the end, Jesus returns bodily, yeah. and he writes all wrongs, he dries uh, every tear of, of his children, mm. he, he makes all things new, uh, and that's what we're looking forward to, and it's definitely what the enemy is not. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's I, think, I think that's the reason that, you know, you know, Paul cries Maranatha, right? You know, come Lord Jesus, this is what we want, this is what we pray for, because it is an end to all this. 
that's that's the final nail in, the, in all this conversation. No more back and forth. No more tit for tat. No more rounds. Mm-hmm. No more anything. That's the final nail here. The Godman descending, covered in blood, sword out of his mouth, fire, angels, done. Rolling up the sky like a scroll. Yeah. The kind of things that, yeah, aren't undone. Mm-hmm. They don't happen yeah. and no one notices and you go on for yeah. seven years or something. No, yeah. the kind of things that are definitive and mm. final. And then that's the beginning of the last chapter. Yeah. The end of this chapter and the beginning of the last one. And, and that's a, a beautiful truth that I think we can lose sight of in the midst of struggles like this. Mm. Right? You, it, 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 some people... Depending on the struggle, you can say, you know, if you're losing, if you're really losing all hope, and that's all you have to hold on to. For example, when you read a lot of the, like, spirituals that that, uh, were written by uh, slaves who were Christians in America, they focus entirely on, you know, this life is is, uh, just suffering all the time because we are so mistreated and there's so much injustice and the system is so rigged against us. We focus on the hereafter. Hmm. But for people who aren't in like that level of suffering or trial, I don't want that. I don't want, I want, I want back mm. what I had here now, right? Like right. those are my struggles usually, right? Mm. I, where I'll say, you know, I don't want to look forward to some day when everything's going to be made right. I'd like that day to be today. And I know I don't need the sky rolled up like a scroll. I just need this thing that just got messed up to get unmessed up. You know what mm. I mean? And yeah. when the enemy can get in and uh, almost like the pettier the complaint, the easier the foothold for the enemy. Right. Because when there's when everything falls out, the bottom falls out of your life. If you don't really have the kind of faith that can look forward to the coming of Christ and and trust that He will make all things new and is working all things together for your good, you'll abandon the faith. Right? Absolutely. But you'll stick around during uh, the petty annoyances mm-hmm. and yeah. and say, oh, "Well, God, come on, are mm-hmm. you me again? What is this?" <laughs> and, and not focus on these vast meta narrative cosmic events that were promised. Yeah. Christian's very good, I think, at getting to the heart of the matter fairly quickly here. He doesn't stick in any one area of discussion with Apollyon long enough for Apollyon to move him, Mm. right? Do you think the words of Apollyon make any impact or have any real effect on Christian? I mean, I think there's the bit about the shield being smaller than it was. Yeah. Some level. You made that up. Right. Like, 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 I think I think I think that carries over into our real lives nicely. Is that some days our shields are nice and big and totally protective, and mm-hmm. nothing's getting through, and we're and we're having these golden moments uh, where we're reflecting on either Christ crucified or Christ risen and enthroned, and we're with our brothers and sisters, and everything's great. And then there are times of utter darkness, and everything's closing in around you, and the bottom has fallen out of your life, and that shield is a little smaller. Yeah, your, things because are your faith to get is waning, and yeah. yeah. And that is done through that pressure that's it's, it's being put in, and, and then I think that I think that all you have to do is go to the Psalms and see that this is a felt reality. Yeah. For people, where are you, God? Man after God's own heart is yeah. Falling where down are you? This. Yeah. You know, um, uh, have you joined my enemies? Have you abandoned me? Because I think I'm doing everything right here, and everyone else is getting a leg up on me. Yeah. Between you and yeah. I, I'm the faithful one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is laughable, but in the moment it can feel like that. Yeah, sure. Why are you helping my enemies? Obviously, if you are omnipotent, you could be helping me. And I find it really telling that you're not. I'm sure for the Christian. I'm I'm sure for the Christian evangelizing on the other side of the world in persecuted areas. Wow, there's a lot of weight. Mm. You could just lift this. You could just topple this government that is in complete and utter hatred of you. You know, it, again, going to the Psalms and talking about how these nations rage against God. You could just topple these. You laugh at this. This is silly. You laugh to scorn in the heavens, but on earth, we're still having to yeah. deal with and it. And then yeah. you're feeling this pressure. I, I, I think that can be a, 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 a real felt reality here where you are being faithful to the gospel and you are being faithful to God inside of sharing that gospel with, you know, fallen people. And yet that weight is still there. And then Satan using that as, well, God doesn't love you mm-hmm. or this might not even be real. Wouldn't this be a wasted life if none of this was even real and you just spent all your time suffering? Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. Uh, you, have you considered that? I mean, don't really consider it, but maybe I'd put that yeah, yeah. seed in your mind. I feel like those who are called to that kind of ministry, though, and really right. they, they come to terms with, I am taking up my cross and following Jesus. Sure. And they're in the Word and they're reading, you know, Paul's journeys through 
similar areas with similar governments and how he never says, God, just topple these Romans. He, he just trusts that God is, is doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that, that's, well, you know what? I shouldn't. He does talk about being crushed to the point when he wants to die, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think that it's 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Living the life of Paul, seeing things, bringing people back to life, mm-hmm. knowing that all, seeing the risen Christ, right? Yeah. Being caught up into the third heaven and then so driven by the weight of this affliction he's experiencing in Asia that I despair of life. Yeah. I don't want to live. And, and that's the real trick there is, the, you know, death being an enemy and then having you wish for it. Mm. Oh, you know, boy, you know, yeah. Like, take, the, take, a, take the victorious message of the gospel, which is news of life, take it from you and say that I'm going to make you want yeah. my creation. I'm going to make you want death itself. That's a that's a real victory, I think. And and of course, when later on we start talking about he, like heavier subjects and that you know, Christian himself is going to start going through. Right. That's the that's the real trick, I think. Doubting Castle. Yeah, Doubting Castle. I mean, that's a dark thing to get someone whose life centers around the good news of life in Jesus to abandon that. Yeah. For yeah death. I, I'm probably putting on a pedestal people who go to the other side of the world uh, hmm. and, and do mission work. Because it's something we couldn't do. Paul's over here. Just, I, I yeah. couldn't. Yeah. I know that. I'm yeah. not called to it. I, God looked at me and went, no, this guy's got to stay and take care of the farm. Yeah. He would crash and burn. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even in that, you know, I, I do the same thing with, with other pastors that I admire historically. Spurgeon, hmm. you'd look at it and say, oh yeah, this guy's faith is so great. And then I have to be reminded every once in a while, you know, Spurgeon, Luther, they wouldn't come out of the attic for yeah. a week at a time mm-hmm. because they were overwhelmed by a, a similar kind of thing. Like, like the enemy is effective. And, and it's not just a weak or new, a new Christian, like Christian, who is going to be affected by him. Yeah. One thing, though, that I would have expected Christian to at least be somewhat tripped up by, and he's not, is during this long list of things, you know, you, you fell asleep shamefully, you lost your choice things... Uh, you were almost persuaded. He's bringing up these little things he didn't even do. You were yeah. tempted to, which Christian could have called him on. That's not sin. It was just a temptation. But you were, you were almost persuaded to turn back at the sight of the lions. But then he goes in to a deep cut. Only you and I know this one, mm-hmm. Christian, that whenever you speak of the stuff you're doing and seeing on this road, right. inside, deep down, you want some vainglory. Hmm. So you're very righteous sounding outwardly, but we both know this is a desire of yours. You want to be the big shot. Hmm. Of course, the fact that he's destined to become one by part two. <laughs> yeah. I, I would almost expect if, if Bunyan had known how well this would sell, maybe he would have mentioned that. Like, hmm. and, and can I tell you, I mean, the devil can't predict the future. He didn't create the future or anything, but, but yeah. And that's probably going to happen for you. So, you know, I could use that as something to kind of tear you down. But none of this phases him. Hmm. All that you say is true. In fact, there is much more that you've left out. <laughs> you know? Well, he knows it. That first step inside of the Beatitudes is this, you know, this broken spirit, this poor in spirit, this meek kind of, you know, this, this, this beginning of knowledge of being the fear of God. He knows who he is and he knows his fallenness. And then, and then knowing that and I think living with that and then knowing your Savior, you know, and knowing that these are the exact things that he said to you, uh, it can't be a weapon anymore. It can't be an effective thing thrown at you anymore. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, a couple chapters ago, yeah, this kind of confrontation, especially finding him without armor, without weaponry, you know, could have been far more effective, but not now. Yeah, know? there's the John Newton thing of like, you're just reminding me of how great my sin is, mm. which reminds me all the more of how much greater my savior is. Yeah. Keep it up. You're, you're not going to pull me down with this stuff. And, of course, we're seeing here the two sides of this coin of, of who the enemy is uh, and even the names, you know, devil and Satan, the most common names used for, for the enemy, diabolos, satan, um, and, or in the Greek, satanas, um, meaning adversary, which you know sounds like I'm coming to crush you and destroy you, yeah. and slanderer or accuser. Uh, and he's doing both. He's right. there to crush him. He's there to accuse him. And... You see this even in like, even in bad television these days, you know, like 
or or in in like comic books. I remember um, loving the way that Spider Man. When I would be a kid, I'd read Spider Man comics. Spider Man was always quipping with people as he was like running around and and, and thinking like, why do these bad guys let him do that? Well, <laughs> what he's doing is he's getting inside their heads while he's fighting yeah. them. Yeah. It's it's almost like psyops, psychological warfare on a, a micro scale. Hmm. It's brilliant. It works. And from the very beginning, Genesis chapter three, our enemy is described as being a master of it. Hmm. So if you're not ready for that, if you don't have the shield up for that, as well as for a straightforward temptation, yeah. do this bad thing, or a you know a full on attack where you're you're just overwhelmed by a sense of evil or something, you're not you're not ready for his main gig. Hmm. He starts his career <laughs> as a devil, yeah. uh, slithering in, saying, "Doesn't this look good?" Yeah. Uh, and and let me agree with some things that God said. Twist him a little bit. But question. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm not doing it. All I'm doing is saying think for yourself. Yeah. All I'm doing is I'm, I'm yes indeed God said this, but it's not exactly like that. I mean. Yeah. And, and he's very good at it. We see that the role of the devil in the Old Testament is to stand in the presence of God and accuse. Job chapter one, mm. you know, have you considered my servant Job? And, and he, he's very righteous and Satan's here going, no, 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 fair weather follower. If you take away X, Y, or Z, he won't be faithful to you anymore. And he's a permitted, he's a lion, but he's a lion on a leash. He's permitted to go and, and remove some of these things. Zechariah three, we've got the, the courtroom scene in, in God's presence. It's a prophetic vision, it seems. And you have the high priest of the people, Joshua, who should be the cleanest, right? The purest, because he goes on behalf of other people mm -hmm. into God's presence in the, in the temple. And he's literally, the words used in the Hebrew mean he's wearing garments that are like spackled in manure. He's mm -hmm. wearing like filth. And Satan just keeps pointing at the filthy garments. Look at this guy shouldn't even be here. You should destroy him for daring to come into your presence. Yeah. And he calls to the angel of the Lord, which it's fairly well established in my opinion that this is Christophanes in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, and says, take off the filthy garments, put on him spotless garments, put on a, a clean turban. There. Now what do you have to say? Satan? Mm. And he's got nothing left to say. And then in, in Revelation 12, 10, he's cast down. The accuser of the brethren, that's his, his like job title. Yeah. He's cast down to the earth. And now he, all he can do is, it's basically George Costanza work. You familiar with Seinfeld? I know yeah. that you and I are yeah, different yeah, yeah. generations. Costanza will get fired and show up the next day mm -hmm. and just pretend he still works there. Yep. Or he'll get dumped and he'll just like act like they're still dating. Like he's such a loser. And this is all the enemy can do is like, mm. I don't know, I still work here. I still accuse. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. It's yeah. it's brilliant in its simplicity. <laughs> it's so dumb it just might work. <laughs> There are an awful lot of texts here that are quoted exactly uh, that we probably don't need to read. As you look at your annotated versions of, of the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, you'll see that, for example, uh, do not rejoice against me, O my implacable enemy, for when I fall I shall yet arise. Uh, that's from Micah 7. When I fall, I arise, rejoice not against me, my enemies. Uh, Romans 8.37 is, is quoted exactly as well. Nay, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Great passage. I have a um, my favorite commentary on the book of Revelation, William Hendrickson, and it's called um, More Than Conquerors, even though that's, oh, okay. a, <laughs> yeah. that's from Romans 8, uh, because it's describing, you know, overcoming to the end. There's a, a basic quote here from uh, James 4, when finally Apollyon just spreads his wings and makes a break for it. Yeah. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I like how he, he portrays this because it sounds simple. You resist him and it sounds like if you just stand up to him for a moment, like a bully mm. who you say, yeah, fine, let's fight. And he's, and he gets scared and leaves. No, no, right. no. resist him. And eventually he will yeah. leave from you. Yeah. It's not going to be easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. And there's more to that. There's submit yourself therefore to God, mm. resist the devil and he will flee from you. I wrote a novel that that's the kind of the whole core of it, trying to do the the second part without the first. It's called Playing Saint. You could buy it if you wanted. You know what? I'm going to put a little plug in here. I haven't done this yet. Plug it, baby. I feel weird doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway because you got to do this stuff. All of my my uh, supernatural suspense novels are available as audiobooks on my website, and they all have similar kind of suspense music and sound effects and stuff as the Pilgrim's Progress. So feel free to check those out. Back to the real stuff at hand here, the uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. There's also a reference to Hebrews 4, 
how the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And when he finally does get that opening, he goes in and he just stabs him right through the belly with a two-edged sword. And that's it. I mean, how do you recover from that? I've never been stabbed in the belly with a two-edged yeah. sword, but I got to imagine you at least it's need some pleasant. time. Yeah, and, and uh, the sound effects I thought were adequately gross. They were great, yeah. I had them a little grosser, and I was like, "No, that's actually almost comically gross." So I hold hold back a little bit, hold back, and I and I made it just just gross enough, I think. And then it, Bunyan has him flee as one who has received his mortal wound. Well, it's 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 interesting because because in that quotation about the sword, it ends with, "And no creature is hidden from his sight." But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom whom we must give account. You know, like, like that sword being driven into him is that final reminder that Christian gives him of this is your end. Yeah, here. right. This is here's this mortal wound for you. It's finished. Yeah, you know, yet not yet. It's finished. This is done. Here is that judgment. And of course, he gets his own wound that could have been mortal, but yeah. for the fact that one of the shining ones comes, it's just a, a disembodied hand in Bunyan's original right, work. Yeah. Here you go. And I was like, what? That's yeah. so weird. I mean, in the Bible, there's a disembodied hand writing on the wall, I guess. But uh, I thought better to bring back one of the shining ones. He applies these leaves from the tree of life to his wound, uh, and it, it heals it. It's not mortal, mm. but probably it's going to smart going yeah. forward. You know, yeah. there's... There's been a scar here. There's been some some damage. Uh, Revelation 22.2, 2, do you have that? I think you are close. You're closer than me. Oh, no, I'm in Revelation. I'm right there. Never mind. You're not as close as me. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's no, amazing. No longer will there be anything accursed. You know, that's yeah. Just, yeah, just... That's goosebump stuff yeah. for me. I love the book of Revelation, especially these What's last few focus? chapters. That's that focus that we were talking about earlier, though. Having this as the image in your mind of where we are heading. This, this you know, this, yeah. this, this, this grandeur of this celestial city that we're slowly making progress towards. What sin could, could tempt you right. that's going to be better than this? Flowing from the throne. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And you know what I love? The book of Revelation is broken into it's seven recapitulations of the same story, which is the first advent of Christ to the second, his first coming to his second coming, with more and more and more of an emphasis on the end hmm. each time. And I think that tells us something, that that like as you go through the Christian life, you may need to focus more and more yeah. on the end, because you're going to have less and less... Kind of whole, like Paul saying, I'd rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord, even though I don't want to be absent from the body, but I've got all this stuff here. And by the time he gets close to his death, he's saying, I've, I've run the race. I've it's finished joy. the fight. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Mm-hmm. And, and his focus has gone completely to this celestial city. I had a prof, Jim Greer, in seminary. And uh, I emailed with him a little after seminary. He's, he's with the Lord now, but he would sign his. In his, his final years, he would sign his emails, Pilgrim Jim, nearing the city. And I thought that was <laughs> so awesome. cool. Yeah. Like this idea that he could see it more. Yeah. And more. He'd been to the Delectable Mountains. Mm. From there, you can see the actual gate. You know, yeah. he knew it was coming. Uh, let's talk just real briefly about discontent and shame. Uh, there, it's, this is fairly self-explanatory stuff, but it, it's worth discussing, I think. And this, all, all of this story, of course, we get in Bunyan's work uh, when Christian and Faithful are just kind of catching up. How you been? They're kind of walking through each other's journey. And he says, tell me, did you not meet anyone else in the Valley of Humiliation? Yes, I met with a certain discontent who was so intent on persuading me to go back. And the way that he tries to get him to go back is to remind him of some of his pals mm-hmm. back in the city yep. of destruction. Yeah. Think about what they would think. You're letting down your friends. Yeah. People, you know, great people like self-conceit, worldly glory, pride, arrogance. And, and aren't these, some of these folks are even your, your family members, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to be like a bad example. You're going to drag the family name through the mud. And his response is just, they disowned me and yeah. I've disowned them. Yep. You're, you're barking up the wrong tree here, yeah. guy. Uh, because it's especially having the idea that all of them had been part of the mob that wanted to kill him. Yeah. Uh, which which I, I'm a little bit proud of that. I think it all fit together <laughs> nicely. Uh, the idea that these people mocked him, you know, for sure. 
mm-hmm. before he left, they they all laughed at him. And now, why would he care what they think? Other than the standard, you know, be thought of well by outsiders. You know, make sure that your testimony, your witness, is good. Yeah. Outside of that, these people are dead to me, and I'm dead to them. Galatians six fourteen. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So yeah, if you're going to try and make something seem really sweet, going to the world and the old stuff isn't going to help, uh, because again, my eyes are set forward. Do you, did you have any, uh, my, my salvation came early enough in life where, and I was at a, a Baptist school, I didn't have like a group of friends that, that I thought of, uh, but was there ever a time when you thought, man, this would be easier if I still had friends that I've parted ways with because of my salvation? I went through a, a, a pretty lonely time initially when I first got saved because my friend pool was, you know, completely just stripped to the bone. Right. Um, it was very much that uh, that uh, Second Corinthians six about you know not not being unevenly yoked. What does the kingdom of God want with Baal and mm-hmm. stuff like that? Where um, the initial change in me was repulsed with the speech and the activity and the hopelessness and nothingness that that kind of stuff uh, sold, but it was at least you know, companionship. Right, It yeah. was at least um, something that I would have preferred over just being alone. And and luckily, it didn't take long to convince my girlfriend, who'd become my wife, and a couple of other people inside of our lives that all kind of came to Christ around that time where we were, we were all able to kind of band together. But especially being a convert, coming from a culture inside of my life that didn't have any kind of respect for church, Mm-hmm. you know, at all that was mostly done on TV. And even the stuff that was on TV was still focused on your own life, focus on right. your health, wealth, and prosperity and stuff, where I I didn't have a unified body of believers to Those are the shows that pride, arrogance, self-conceit, and worldly glory watch. Yeah. Right, yeah. It, so, it's, yeah very, even, even the religious element of people within your life then weren't on the same pilgrim road as you. Selling me useless. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, useless bills of sale that meant nothing to me. So I can see almost how something like that would work. What about these people that you do genuinely love and care for? You know, you, you, you do have these memories of tons of long nights in the summer and stuff like that. And, you know, driving around town and all the silly stuff that you've done with each other throughout high school. Right, it wasn't like all that. sin. There was good memories was and good, good times. Yeah. Fun, genuine memories. And um I think I I think that's why it's a sacrifice. It's a cutting off that hand. You are really losing something. There you know there this isn't just stuff that's easy to throw away and you just go, oh, okay, well what's next? That stuff wasn't holding you down then. If it you know Yeah uh, if you if counted it, the cost and there was none to count. Yeah. All yeah. right. Have yeah. a look again at that yeah. <laughs> that salvation experience. So I could see how that could work, but I mean, he's not tripped up by it at not all. Not a bit. Not a bit. And not. and and that's that character growth moment. This this calling from the old life. Did you think you really escaped wanton? Do you think that you think that really is gone? And he goes, yes, it's gone. Well, he's going to say later. Yeah. I don't know that I really did escape mm. her. He is. He's going to be haunted by that. And then there's a, a little reference to when he was pulled back by Adam the first. Right. Something happened that I chose to to wait on that to bring it up again later. Mm. Uh, that that part of him was part of his person was actually pulled backward and pointed backward in that direction. He has a secret inclining to him. So there is a little truth mixed in it too. Hmm. But the stuff with these friends, and, and you know, I, I was careful to make sure there was a friend who hadn't been wanting to to kill him. Hmm. Revelry was just you know he he was down on the religious stuff because it was. Yeah. A downer. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, you do your thing as long as we can still get together and have a blast together once mm-hmm. in a while. But even thinking back to him didn't quite make Faithful say, yeah, you're right. I am discontented. Mm. I mean, these guys really, this is, these are some good pictures of some pilgrims for us. They're, they're yeah. good examples to follow, but they're also fallible. So mm. they don't, it doesn't throw us off, you know, that they're so superhuman that when we fail, reading Pilgrim's Progress makes us question our own loyalties or something. When that doesn't work, he goes right into telling him, you know, this, this is a valley is, is just without honor. It's an awful place to be. You shouldn't be here. You should find somewhere honorable to be. Mm. And he says, listen, the pride comes before the fall. Yeah. And 
uh, before honor is humility. This is the value of humility. We're going through it. I'm going. I'm going to come out of it at some point, and mm-hmm. I am going to have greater honor than you can imagine. Yeah. This guy's kind of junior varsity. This discontent because he doesn't try <laughs> that hard, and he's just Fables in in my telling of this is threatening to kill everybody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Adam the first. I'm going to pound you. Moses. I'm going to turn around and fight you. Um, this guy. He just basically says, "Dude, go find your treasure." Oh, and, and by the way, I, that was I thought a a semi clever. Tell me if this even registered with you. Almost a satanic twist on the selling all that you have to buy the field. field Instead, he's like, yeah, I won this in a card game. It's probably nothing. I don't care. (laughs) That's how he views the world. You know, like, I'll check it out. Cut you in on it. This discontent can't work because I think of where Faithful Focus is. He's not not discontent with the image before him. Right. You know, he's not discontent with his savior that bound his wounds and saved him from Moses. And, you know, he's not, he's not um, shaky in his faith in that way. He knows what he wants. He knows where he's heading. He knows roughly how to get there. And he has some false senses of how he's going to do it. Obviously skipping the church and just, Mm -hmm. he's going to muscle his way through and hardly even stop to take a little bit of food off of you. But he's, he's certainly not discontented. He, he's a bit discontented at being alone. I tried to make it sure. seem that way anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, so, so that he would be initially receptive. Hmm. But it's real quick where he realizes, no, this, you just want to like make me sadder. Hmm. I don't need that. I'm already a little morose. Get lost. Yeah. The discontent I- I encounter is a bust for, and so I had uh, shame in his, in his anger over that not going well. Yeah. Saddle him with shame and leave him. Is he ever going to be able to get out of that valley? Probably not. He's buried oh, under so much shame, yeah. this guy. I like in in uh, stories where the, the good guys can band together and put aside their differences, but the powers of darkness are always turning against each other. Hmm. Uh, even in, Have you ever read This Present Darkness? It's a Frank Peretti novel uh, about angels and demons. You I might haven't. get a kick, out, get of a kick it. out of it. it. It's I still think it's legitimately, unironically good. I read it regularly. Probably every other year I read it. But there's spoilers. Skip ahead 30 seconds if somehow you haven't read this. Oh, yeah, you haven't read it. There's a moment where one of the like lesser demons comes back and you forgot about him, uh, and he's because he's so angry that he's been upstaged by another one, and mm. it like makes the whole satanic plan start to fall apart. Oh, it's it's really well written. It's really mm. fun. Uh, it, the problem is people started making like theology and life choices out of yeah. Him, yeah. his yeah. fictional devices, which wasn't the best. As far as shame, when he comes, he doesn't come with standard shame like you've done bad things, which is what Apollyon's trying to do. Um, apparently that's not what he thinks will work. Hmm. He comes at this guy who seems to have some some manliness about him, you know, quit yourself like men kind of a thing, mm-hmm. and says, th- this whole religion thing, it's for suckers and pansies. Hmm. Tell me about true religion. Well, it's having a tender conscience before the Lord. Oh my goodness, is there any more sneaking, like, mincy thing to do mm-hmm. than have a tender conscience and go like confess things to your neighbor and mm. and make restitution for things that you took. And he tries to shame him for being less of a man. Mm. And there's a moment where it almost seems like it's going to work. And then he comes back at him with, A, if I'm ashamed of my Savior now, if I give into this, he'll be ashamed of me when he comes. Yeah. With, uh, you know, in glory. I'm not going to let that happen. And all the things you hold in the highest of esteem, are they're garbage to me. And all the things that that you are mocking are the things that I see the most glory in. I don't know who you are. Hmm. I don't care what you think. Yeah. You need to get out of here right now because I see you for what you are. You are the work of the enemy trying to just drag me back uh, away from finding my identity in Christ and make me find my identity back in confidence in the flesh and all that sort of stuff. It's interesting, though, from the from the manly perspective almost how how this has had such a deep-rooted effect inside of the church today though yeah i mean i'm just talking about looking at numbers and statistics and you see the majority of church membership and even if you are a member church attendance is female Mm -hmm. that's just and 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 you look at the you know the majority of volunteer work and stuff like that and it's female and uh, I think that I think that is a very or something that's been sold to culture that it, this is this is unmanly. Oh, for sure, yeah, to, yeah, to be here and not you know and you know and and miss a game. Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna miss a game for this, you know? For, oh, uh, it, 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 for for what? 
for praying, for going Singing to that some bad songs place or... with women. You know? There's this like machismo that scoffs at all things holy mm. as if that is another level of manliness. To, to, in fact, I remember in Grand Rapids, there was for a while a bar that had on their A-frame sign, sandwich board sign outside. You could write on like a little chalkboard, different messages. And it said, uh, come in for cheap drinks, good times, and to laugh in the face of the almighty or something. And I remember, and I looked in there and it was, it was all dudes of mm. a particular cut and, and the idea that we're going to uh, be men, act like men, and also serve Jesus is a, a punchline to the world, right? Even like when movements come along hmm. that that don't overdo like, you know, the masculinity to a, a absurd degree, but just say this is how God designed men to act, you know, hmm. it immediately will be grabbed onto by pop culture and turned into a punchline to the hmm. point where bringing it up will make people laugh. And I think that's the enemy's... The enemy's still using this tactic then, this shame tactic. The Yeah, the core of it is is a reliance outside of yourself, right? It's a, a complete reliance on the finished work of Christ. It is a reliance and a realization that you need, you need a, a fellow body of believers to make it yeah. through effectively. Um, it is saying that for a lot of us, there's a need for a wife, so much of the macho man, you know, kind of um, John Wayne, do-it-yourself, you know, it, it mentality just flies in the face of any kind of real biblical manhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it, it, really interesting to me when I when you told me, I think, that the, the Ron Swanson, uh, Nick Offerman, who plays Ron Swanson, yeah. uh, I knew that he was you know, a, a writer and that he did all that woodworking stuff and everything yeah. and, and that he was an interesting guy. Mm. And and I knew he was, I think I knew he was a libertarian or something. I thought, oh, it might be interesting to read some of his stuff. And you told me that it's like very much a mockery of religion. And it's very much this kind of lone wolf, John Wayne. You don't need God. You don't need other folks. You just be reliant only on yourself. Yeah, stand-up special American ham about... 45 minutes, almost the entire thing is just mocking any kind of religious concept. Look, they're sacrificing turtles, you know, how, how get out there and build something, you know, mm -hmm. this and that, where it's like, that's going to, that's going to in any way, shape or form deal with your problems and your issues is just building a canoe. Or like, <laughs> what if we all got together and we, we pooled our resources and built a tower that went all the way to heaven. Right. Yeah. That would make it all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's in my mind, one of the lower, like, that's a manly man in a fun hmm. way, right? Yeah. And even when you're doing it in a fun way, we have so confused the notion of what it means to really be a man the way that God designed a man to be, hmm. that it, it can't include, yeah, having a wife and a family and loving them and mm. laying down your life for them. No, no, you got to be out you, completely reliant, un, unattached, you know, yeah. and a different woman every night. It can't include involvement in a church or having a tender conscience or weeping over your sin. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's for women. That's Being silly. gentle and lowly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. So Jesus himself then become. I mean, good grief. Yeah. Went to the cross and, and could have stopped it at any moment, but let them mm. nail him to a cross. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a wimp. Yeah, and, right. and the culture's got it so backwards. Hmm. But faithful manages to yeah. to make it work. Uh, he sees him for what he is ultimately that that he's not as puffed up as he pre pre presented himself. That he's this slithering snake guy. Uh, I, I think I want to end with just reading what uh, Christian says when they're discussing this. He says, "My brother, I am glad that you did so bravely withstand this villain. For I think, as you do, that of all the people you met, he undoubtedly has the wrong name." How bold he is to follow us in the streets and attempt to put us to shame before a watching world. That is, to embarrass us concerning that which is good. For if he was not so audacious, he would never attempt to be so bold. But let us resist him. For notwithstanding all of his bravado, he exclusively promotes himself as a fool. Remember that Solomon said, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Wait, so they meet? Christian <laughs> Yes, yes, they, 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 they ultimately do. I, I guess I spoiled that. Yeah, no, they, they will. I, what if I say that within the next two chapters they're gonna they're gonna be meeting and wow, uh, you know buddy. just keep on keep on listening. These guys are gonna and then they're just gonna hate each other. It's gonna be cat fight after cat fight. They're gonna be like, yeah. "You ate my schnitzel." No, I didn't. Yeah, schnitzel. <laughs> wow.
Um, I think that's about it for this uh, chapter. It's a lot of scripture. If you go back and look in the show description, I'll put it all in there. Uh, there's there's plenty that we didn't actually read or reference, but there is an awful lot going on with these confrontations with uh, the evil one and his his minions. Minions has become a cute thing. Those are those little yellow guys. But, uh, you know, the forces of darkness are at work. Be aware of that. Don't just be on guard for one kind of attack. There's shame and discontent. There's accusing you and reminding you of your fallenness. And there is the straightforward roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. But keep your head on a swivel, keep your eyes on the prize, and keep on the narrow road. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Acheson and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway a publishing ministry of good news publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com slash audio. Hi, and Silver.